God, I just pray that in the coming moments as we open your word, that you would bring us together in oneness, just like you, God, are one in three. May, may all of us as the family of God in this room uh, be brought together with your spirit. And we pray, Lord, for the power of your word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and active. Will penetrate our hearts, our spirits, our minds, our lives, that we can be restored, Lord, in relationship with you, that we can have relationship with one another according to your design, according to the circle of love. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We are wrapping up our series on flourishing in relationships uh, this morning, and we've spent the last five, six weeks talking about relationships, uh, and so I, I want to kind of bring it back together today. We've talked about some specific things uh, in relationships. Of course, as Lyle mentioned, we had the Sprinkle Conference, and we've talked about homosexuality and sexuality. We've had... Uh, Pastor Sitlau last week, Clayton pushed into about singleness, and we've had Darren talk to us about marital relationships. This is not, by the way, this is not going away. We're going to continue to push into relationships, in the diversity of relationships, over the next several years. What does that look like? Well, that's what the executive board and our, our executive team are really working out. But we realize that it is important that we do relationships well. So today, I wanna step back as we wrap this up and I want to kind of go up to the macro level and I want to think about relationships as God's kingdom and as God in the entirety of Scripture kind of lays it out for his desire for us. So uh, strap in, grab your Bibles, and uh, we're going we're gonna to jump in. Um, I got seven, seven pieces this morning. So we're going to go back to the very beginning. And Preston, let's go ahead and get up there with flourishing in relationships, point number one. There we go. God created us for relationships. That's why we were created. In Genesis chapter one, he said, he looked at all that he made, and then Genesis one says, God said, let us, and he, by the way, it is plural, the Hebrew plural, let us, the circle of love, the three in one, make humanity, make humans, in our own image, male and female, let's make them. And God made hum humanity, male and female, in the image of God. Now there's a Latin phrase for image of God that is imago Dei, I-M-A-G-O-D-E-I, which means the image of God. And Christianity grew and was a force in the first century. The Jesus movement turned the world upside down 
in part because the followers of Jesus believed, embraced the reality that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being has value. Every human being is loved by God. Now, in a culture in the first century, that had huge implications because most of human history, there were haves and have-nots, and you were one or the other. And the haves always looked down on the have-nots. And in fact, human, humans were just very easily discarded throughout most of history. If you were not normal, if you were not healthy, if you were not, uh, you had no value to the powers that be on level three kingdoms of this world, then you could be easily discarded. Uh, there was a, go back to just the first century BC, about the time that Jesus was born, there um, was a Roman soldier who wrote his um, wife, girlfriend back home, and uh, he said, Basically, you read the letter, and it's interesting, because it's just like a normal letter that anybody would write. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still stationed in Alexandria, dear, uh, and I've got you know, our servants here. I'm probably going to send them back to you. Now, I want you to know that I am, I am gonna send you my paycheck when I get it, and if you were pregnant, then I, I just want you to know that I am going to take care of you and the, ba and the baby if it's a boy. If it's a girl, throw it out. And that was standard policy. If you couldn't afford the baby, you just left it to die. It was very common. And if that baby didn't get picked up by somebody else, somebody didn't have grace for it, in some cases, evil people would grab it, raise it for sex trafficking. But that was just normal. But then Jesus came along and Jesus' followers and began to say, well, wait a minute, all of these, all of these outcasts of society, not only unwanted children, but also widows who had no means of support, lepers who were outcasts of society, and, and you know, these are the people that Jesus' people began to love. Why? Because they had the Imago Dei. That leper is made in the image of God. That little orphan is made in the image of God. That widow is the Imago Dei of God, and every human being had that worth and value change things, just flip things upside down. Jesus himself said the law is summed up in what? Two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. What? So that's it. Relationship with God, relationship with others. That's what God is all about. That's what creation was all about. God wanted to make us in his image, why? To be in relationship with him. So that's our desire 
to be in good relationship with God and good relationship with others. Point two, there is a design for human relationships. And that's what God prescribed. He took Adam and Eve and said, yep, yep, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the woman leave her home and the two will become one flesh. At the end of chapter one, he said, yeah, go and multiply and subdue the, fill the earth with people. It's a good thing, that's what I want. And this is before sin entered the picture. In other words, what God wants is, I, I, Adam and Eve, I wanna be in continuous relationship with you and then I want you in your relationship to create others and then we're gonna fill the earth with people who are in relationship with one another and relationship with me. That was the plan from the very beginning. And Jesus affirmed that. He affirmed it when he said, hey, yeah, that's why God said, man leaves the mother and father, the woman leaves her home, the two become one. That's the plan. That's the design. They have children. And they raise those children in the image of God. But, point three, there's also an enemy. And as people of the book, we know that this great story is ultimately, at a macro level, a story of good and evil. It's about the goodness of God that chases after us. <laughs> it's about evil that opposes God in every way. Whatever God wants, the enemy, the evil one, and his minions want just the opposite. God is for life. The enemy is for death. God is for oneness, circle of love. The enemy is for discord and disunity. God is for love, the enemy is for hatred. God is for joy, the enemy is for despair. God is for peace, the enemy is for conflict. God is for patience, and the enemy wants us to be impatient. God is for kindness, and the enemy wants us to be mean. God is for gentleness, the enemy is for violence. God is for faithfulness, the enemy is for selfishness. God is for self-control, the enemy is for indulgence. Which brings us to point four. As you study the scriptures, as you study the great story, what you see in the theme of the great story is that Satan's tactic, the enemy's tactic to get us out of relationship with God and out of relationship with others is really pretty simple. The enemy takes our natural appetites, our God-given human appetites, and he leverages them so that we will indulge them to the point of being out of control. Preston, let's go to the next slide, please. So follow me here, okay? Got the, got the graph? Nope, nope, go to the graph, the, uh, the one with the boxes on it. There we go. So temptation of Adam and Eve in Revelation chapter 3, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. 
when Eve is tempted, Satan says, yeah, did God really say? And isn't that, the, that's what the enemy always says. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the, the, tree, uh, the fruit of the tree? No, 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 because he was lying to you because he knows that if you do, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. And so it says that, that Eve took the fruit. She saw that it was good for food. There's my human appetite for food because we have to eat in order to live and be healthy. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. And there is our appetite for goodness and beauty and things that we like and want. And if she ate of it, it would make her like God. So that's pride. I want to be like God. I want to be in control. I want to be the one calling the shots. I want to be the one making the rules. I want to live the way I want to live. Now, when Jesus comes in the Gospels, temptation of Jesus out in the wilderness, what does the enemy do? Oh, Jesus, turn these stones to bread. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. What is he doing? He is leveraging Jesus' appetite for food. And, and then he shows them the kingdoms of the world. Look, all these kingdoms of the world. I'm in charge. I'm the prince of this world. I can give you all these kingdoms. He is appealing to the very same thing that appealed to, to uh, Eve and Adam. It's pleasing to die. Look at all. Wealth, power, splendor, beauty. You can have it all if you just bow down and worship me. And then, oh, Jesus, are you really the son of God? Then prove it. Throw yourself down and prove that you are the son of God. And that's just pride. The same thing that Eve was tempted with. Now, keep going. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, this is what John said to Jesus' followers. Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. What is the love of the world? It is the lust of the flesh. There's the appetite. The lust of the eyes, there's the greed and the envy, the pleasing, and the pride of life. When I was uh, in school, I remember as a young man being taught that almost all marital relationships, I learned this in school, basically the conflict in marriage usually boils down to one of three things. Money, <laughs> why? Because with money, we do what? we get what we want. Sex, because sex is supposed to be beautiful and bringing together, but then there's, we have, have different conflicts around that most intimate part of relationship and the division of labor. Any married people here know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, wait a minute. I do... I do this all day long. What have you been doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah? Well, I, you know what? I, I take care of this, and I take care of this, and I take care of this, and ta I take care of this, and why are you sitting on the couch? It, it happens. And it's just, again, it's po about power, selfishness, control. It's the same thing. The, what, Satan, the enemy, is doing here, it's consistent for all time. And so as we think about relationships, as we think about what the enemy is doing, I want us to step back and just realize this for a second. 
okay? We have an appetite for survival. That's what God gives us. We want to survive. It's our, uh, Matthew always calls it the lizard brain, right? It's the lizard brain. We have, we, you know, we just need to survive. But Satan takes that appetite for survival and turns it into, I don't just want to survive. I want to dominate. I want to control. I want to have it all. I want to do more than survive. I want to thrive. And when that is pushed to excess, it becomes a problem. We have an appetite for provision. I need the things I need in order to survive and live. But the enemy takes that and he turns it, he leverages it into greed. I don't want, I'm not content with just what I have. I want more. I want it all. I want to have it all. I want to be rich. I want to have all the toys. I want to have the latest gadgets. I want to have the coolest clothes. I want to have this and this. That's just greed. And when we go get pushed into greed, what happens? Things break down in our relationships. We have an appetite, a natural appetite for justice. If something is, goes wrong, then we want, the, we want the bad guy punished and we want the good guy to thrive. But sometimes what happens is in our, our desire for justice becomes an appetite for control because if I'm in control, then I'm gonna make sure that justice is done. I'm gonna make sure that the bad get their just punishment and the good uh, get, get rewarded and thrive. And so it gets pushed into where we now become unjust in our wrath. <laughs> we have an appetite to be content with life. I just wanna be content, I just want peace. I just want, I just want normal, I just want everything to be okay. And the enemy takes that and puts it into an appetite for envy. Because now I'm not content. Because I want, I, want, I want the life he has. I want the marriage they have. I want the house they have. I want the car they drive. I want the job like that. I want my life to look like that life. I want the Pinterest beauty, uh, worthy life, right? Well, that's just envy. And when we envy others, God even says that's the fruit of the flesh. It's what the enemy thrives on. Because when we're not content, then things break down. We have an appetite for food because we need it to live. And it can get leveraged into gluttony. And our natural appetites get pushed out of control. Why? Maybe to escape, to feel good. Because that indulgence feeds something in our soul that's broken and empty. We have a natural appetite for rest, but when rest gets pushed too far, it becomes sloth. And right now, we are talking about in the news, an entire generation uh, of young people who aren't leaving home. They're not leaving their father and mother, they're not leaving their home, now, in some cases, this is because of economic reasons, and there could be good reasons why uh, young adults need some support from parents. But oftentimes, what I've seen in, with some friends of mine, I got one guy, he said, yeah, um, he's nearing retirement age. He says, his children both live at home. They're in their 30s and don't really work. 
And he told me, I've just given up. I've just come to the point of they will never leave and they will never stop just living off my provision. I have another uh, family that I know. Same thing, son in, uh, you know, in his 20s. Lives in the basement, plays video games all day. Won't get a job because it's too overwhelming. See, when you push that desire for rest and pleasure too far, it becomes a problem of sloth. And then guess what? There's, do you think there's tension in those families? Yeah. Talk about brokenness. And then there's sex, right? And we've talked a lot about sex. Um, Preston Sprinkle, in his um, talk, in his seminar, uh, did a form of this. He talked about some friends of his, and I'd like to talk about some friends of mine. The first friend I'd like to tell you about, let's call him Ben. Ben um, came to me in college, lived across the hall from me in the dorm, and Ben, um, for the first time, I'll never forget, he came to my room and he said he needed to talk and we began to talk and he came out of the closet for the first time with me. He had a really broken life. He was a pastor's son, raised in the church. He loves Jesus, loves Jesus. But he had fallen down that same kind of rabbit hole of depravity that Pastor Sitlow talked about last week. And so, number one, I wasn't prepared for this. I'm in college. I'm not educated for this. I, so, I walked with Ben as his roommate um, moved out as his family rejected him, and as he just, he just wanted some, wants some restoration, he just wanted to know that somebody loves him. He felt broken and alone, and he knew that his life wasn't right. He just, he wanted to be seen and known, and he wanted help. Then, um, then there's, We'll call him Todd. And Todd was my sweet mate in college. And Todd, uh, after college, was a friend, and he called me, wanted to talk. And he came to me, and, and Todd had, um, he had bisexual appetites. He, he, he liked women, but he also had same-sex attraction. And during college, he, what do you do in college? You experiment. He had gone down the path of experimenting with that same-sex attraction. And it, and it was proving to be ruinous to him. He was struggling and broken and humble, and he came to me crying and wanting someone to love him and help him. And, and he, Todd, loves Jesus. And then... We'll call him Rick. 
Rick, I'd known almost my entire life. We came to Christ together. We, um, we grew in our faith together as teenagers. Um, we were great friends. I was best man at his wedding. And years later, he called me to tell me that he had always been same-sex attracted, and he was coming out of the closet. And he had no sexual desire for his wife, and really never had. He felt like he was a fraud. He felt like um, he was broken. He'd been living a lie. Rick loves Jesus. And interestingly enough, Rick and his wife decided to stay married. Why? Because they both love Jesus. And they both made a commitment before God to be married. So they have decided basically to live in a sexless marriage, but they love one another. And, and Rick and his wife love Jesus. And his honesty and truth have allowed them to find a path forward in unity together as a couple and in unity with the circle of love. Yeah, Todd, he ended up getting married, having kids, works for a big Christian organization. Yeah, Ben, he uh, he's, lives single life. His same-sex attraction hasn't changed. And uh, so he's living in chastity and following Jesus, loves Jesus. Now, each one of these have a story. Now, now bear with me here, because now I want to tell you a couple of other stories. Um, we're going to call him Joe. Joe, good small town, upstanding citizen. Joe um, had a son who was married, young and married, and uh, his son and young wife had issues, uh, problems, and they were going to need some help from mom and dad uh, financially and maybe even some, some support in helping them uh, maybe move back in home for a period of time. And Joe, uh, so Joe's daughter-in-law came to see him and because her husband was kind of proud and said, hey, we're going to need some help. And Joe said, oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to give you help as long as you sleep with me. Then there's, we'll call him Stan. Stan, good, upstanding Christian man, chaperone on multiple mission trips all over the world, loved young people, loved Jesus, did all sorts of things. And then... Um, Stan found out that one of the young ladies that was, uh, he'd known from multiple mission trips uh, was going to be uh, near his home. So he invited this young lady to, to get together and, and talk and, and reconnect. And then Joe uh, took her to an isolated spot and tried to sexually force himself on her. And we'll call... 
this guy Nelson. Nelson called me because his life was falling apart. So he had a he had an at-home office. And at office at home, he started kind of visiting pornography sites. And it started, and then the more he visited, the more he went down the rabbit hole. And he got so far down the rabbit hole that the pornography he was looking at and was, was more and more and more graphic, violent, misogynistic. And he started messing up his marriage. He started messing up his life. And he told me, he said, Tom, here's the problem. It's not just that I want to look at it. I want to do the things that I'm looking at. Now, to my line of thinking, all of these examples are situations in which lust, the godly design for the appetite of sex, which God created to be a good thing, has been taken out of control. In some cases, it's out of control in a same-sex attraction way or in a bisexual, a bisexual attraction way, and, or it's heterosexual, sexual lust that has been out of control. But here's what I want us to hear, I want us to hear this morning. Every one of these six men that I've talked about is made in the image of God. You hear me? Made in the image of God. They want a relationship with God. They want to be in good relationship with others. But they have been, they're broken. And they've got to deal with their appetites that are out of control. That the enemy is trying to leverage in order to break their relationship with God and to break their relationship with their loved ones. That's what the enemy does. We live in an over-sexualized world. Now, follow me here. Again, I, in the last 100 years, maybe even less than that, we've had a rise of birth control, right? Now, listen, birth control is considered a right, okay? So it's easy to get, it's easy to use. If we don't wanna have kids, we don't have to have kids. And then we've got abortion if we want, which is just our modern version of, of throwing the girl out. Um, and so if we don't want the children, we don't have to have them. At the same time, there has been a proliferation of pornography. You can get porn anywhere. On your phone, on your tablet, it is easy. And it's everywhere. And it's billions and billions dollar industry. Because this natural appetite now can be fed, and because birth control has been in place and we don't have to have kids if we don't want, sex has become, rather than God's design for procreation and for marital intimacy, sex has become a right to have anytime, anywhere, with anyone, in any way that we want it. And what's happening in our over-sexualized world is that people are out of control. And sometimes it is same-sex attraction out of control. Sometimes it is heterosexual attraction out of control. But it's, out, it's appetite out of control. What we do as, as, a, 
as believers is we often then have the haves and haves nots. Let's go, go to the uh, slide with James. Would you please, Preston? James said this, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. That's our appetites. I have this natural appetite and I am dragged away by this desire enticed to indulge. And then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. That's the process. Let's go back to uh, points five, six, and seven, Preston. So Jesus came to restore the broken relationship with us. And he exemplified the circle of love. How so? Well, God the Father said, Jesus, if we're going to restore relationship with this broken humanity, you are going to have to surrender your rights (laughs) as God. You're going to have to go down to earth and live like one of them. And you are going to have to die a death that they deserve, you don't deserve, that they deserve, so that we can be restored. So Jesus, in the example of the circle of love, said, I will trust you, Father. I will empty myself. I will give everything. I will surrender to your will. I will submit myself to your desires, and I will do it for them. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So have the same mind that Jesus did. That he put others' needs ahead of their own. He emptied himself, took the form of a servant, even obedient to death on a cross. That's the paradigm that we are given to exemplify in our own relationships. So here's what I want us to recognize as we close today. Every one of us in this room has a story of brokenness and out of control appetites. Every one. (laughs) Every one of us. There is no one righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are a broken human being. And I guarantee you that somewhere in your life are appetites out of control. Now, it may not look like somebody else, but you got it. I got it, right? So each of us is broken and has our own story. And Jesus calls us to consider others' brokenness and love them as he has loved us in our brokenness. In other words, friends, there's no way that we should point fingers at others. We should con- can discard others as condemned and worthless and awful. You know, Constantine, Emperor Constantine of Rome, uh, became a Christian. And as a Christian, he changed a lot of the laws of Rome, the whole Roman Empire. He, in fact, it was Constantine that decided that everyone should have one day off of work week. First time in history. Every weekend you can thank God, Moses, and Constantine. Because as a Christian, he said, yeah, the Sabbath thing is a good idea. We need a rest. So 
Constantine also said, you know, in the Roman Empire, if you committed a crime, they would tattoo your crime on your face. So as you walked around, anybody who saw you knew the crime that you committed. And some of us, don't, don't we? Some of us in our sin, we feel like our shame is tattooed to our face. And Constantine said, no more. Why? Because that person, even in their brokenness, in their crime, is made in the image of God. And I will not mar what God has made. Constantine also said, no more crucifixion. So Jesus calls us to consider others. And that's what we need, he lived to do. Not to condemn others. Now, do we still need accountability? Absolutely. Do we still need sometimes to, to get in somebody's face and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. This is, you're not doing the right thing. You're, this is not God's plan. Absolutely. But even that should be done, what? Out of love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and self-control. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. So we want to build community where we can be okay in our brokenness. We can, we can know that no matter what appetite is out of control in my life, no matter how that has broken my life and my relationships, I am made in the image of God. And you are made in the image of God. And I love you. I want to know you. I, want to, I see you. <laughs> I want to be seen. I want to know you. I want to be known. We want a, a community of grace and love. So, we're having a potluck this afternoon. Don't know if you know this? If you are not part of our auditorium family, we're having a potluck right downstairs in the hub, right, Brett? Yeah. No longer, yep, no longer the foundry. Sorry, messed that up. Right downstairs. Uh, at, come around, you know, 4.45 or so. We're planning to eat right around 5-ish, just for a couple of hours. Um, a good old-fashioned potluck. Why? So we can feast together. And we can get to know one another. And we can have some fun. Now, we called it a comfort food picnic. And I, or a potluck. And I, people kind of said, well, what does that mean? Come on, man. What does it mean? It's not, don't overthink it. Right? What makes you comfortable? What, what do you love? I mean, who doesn't go to a potluck? You know there's going to be the cheesy potatoes. Right? Oh, man. You know that there's going to be handballs. You know that there's going to be, you know, cheesy casserole. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, I need some of that. I'm bringing Pop-Tarts and a toaster because that's my comfort food, man, ever since I was a little kid. Blueberry Pop-Tarts. So I'm bringing blueberry Pop-Tarts. Um, whatever it is, don't overthink it. Just come, bring some food. If you don't have food, don't worry, just still come. You can come late, you can leave early. I know worship teams have team night tonight, so they're gonna, anybody on worship team is gonna be leaving early. That's great, awesome. Uh, just drop in if you want. Why? Because we want to build relationships. And if you aren't on our list as a, here in the auditorium and you would like to be part of this auditorium family on a regular basis, on the back table, coffee table there, just fill out one of these forms. Uh, just give us your name and uh, contact information. We will not spam you. We will not 
send you stuff. We're not going to put you on some kind of a list. It's just so that when we do have things like the potluck, we can email you as well, and you can know what's going on. So right there in the back, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you that you came here to love us, to restore our brokenness. So I just pray, Lord, that, that anybody here who uh, feels broken or outcast or alone, whatever life situation, I pray that you feel at home here. I pray for family, Lord. I pray that our brothers and sisters in this room would uh, come together to build community, to love one another as you have loved us. Do it, Lord. Build our relationships. Help us to be like you and follow your pattern in your name. Amen. Communion, come to the table if you'd like, and uh, we'll be having communion. We've got prayer ministers over here if you need prayer. Come on up as we worship and be happy to pray over you.